0: Hello, oh, hello again, good evening or afternoon, maybe even morning, wherever you are, and greetings to you from sunny Roswell, New Mexico, a special hello to our FM listeners on 105.8 UPRN in New Orleans, Louisiana, that is, USA, and as well to our entire global audience via the Paranormal Radio Network, you have tuned in to the talk radio program live from Roswell, and I'm your host, Guy Malone, in Roswell, New Mexico, where all your bases are belong to us still. In just a moment here, I'll be welcoming our special guest tonight, Mr. James Mosley, editor and supreme commander of Saucer Smear Magazine. Uh, James is known as the court jester of ufology, and he's the co-author of Shockingly Close to the Truth, Confessions of a Grave-Robbing Ufologist. And I'll invite you to call us, if you wish, during the program toll-free with a question either for myself but especially for Mr. Mosley at Eight seven 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 eight six zero five six two, or just send me a question via email at me at livefromroswell dot com. T a l k t o m e at livefromroswell dot com. And the email and the phone number are posted for you on www.livefromroswell.com. dot dot com. And before we bring in our guest tonight, I have just a couple of notes of thank you to cover. Uh, one is a paid banner on livefromroswell.com that you might want to check out, especially if you're in the Midwestern United States. It's the Mysteries of the Universe Conference going on in Kansas City, Missouri, June 7, 2008, with the famed ufologist Stanton Friedman as their keynote speaker. There's a banner on livefromroswell that'll show you the entire lineup and what to expect should you want to think about going there. And also thanks to John Zimmer. He's the creator of the Martian Say Whatever line of clothing and some items. He designed a pretty creative logo with a little Martian fellow looking, oh, pretty nonplussed about life and stuff that just has the word whatever written on it. And he sent me a neat package containing a cap and a T-shirt, a clock, and all kinds of other goodies, just like a whole box full of presents with the logo on it. This is a paid plug, but hey, I might just plug anyone who sends me that much stuff. So I've got a link up to The Martian Say Whatever on Live from Roswell, where you, too, can check out that line of clothing and other accessories. It's stuff you can buy on the Internet and have in your home. And uh, right now I'll tell you just a little bit from the bio of our guest, James Mosley. He is the editor and still supreme commander of Saucer Smear Magazine. He is often described as the court jester of ufology, as well as a boil on the ass of ufology. And he's still very active today But July 2004 marked Mr. Mosley's 50th year of saucering Of telling it shockingly close to how it is In the wonderfully weird world of ufology uh, 50 madcap years as a serious ufologist A UFO hoaxer A semi-serious ufologist And the reigning court jester of the field So this makes Jim one of, if not the longest surviving Continuously active saucerer on the planet. Uh, he's also the founder of the National UFO Conference, or at least one of the founders, and he's co-author with uh, Carl Flock of "Shockingly Close to the Truth: Confessions of a Grave Robbing UFOlogist." So, thanks for joining us tonight, and welcome to live from Roswell, Mister Mosley.
1: Well, nice to uh, be here. Or <laughs> I'm not in Roswell, but I'm here, and it's nice talking yeah. to you.
0: Yeah, uh, we're we're broadcasting from new orleans on fm radio that's where producer joe Montato is i am in roswell so that's a true story even though you're in sunny florida aren't you
1: yes that's right
0: well good good i want to ask you uh... we'll just start off with some fun stuff i imagine um... about how you got those extremely impressive titles a boil <laughs> on the ass of ufology or the court jester of ufology
1: well i'm not really uh... quite sure offhand uh... Oh, yes, Uh, the boil on the ass of ufology, that's uh, from uh, no one uh, less notable than John Keel. Uh, He called me that in a letter one time quite a few years ago. He doesn't write to me at all anymore, but when he was writing, uh, that was one of the thoughts he had, and I liked it so much that for a long time I used it as part of my logo on the uh, uh, front uh, page of Saucer Smail I, I thought that was a compliment coming from someone like John Keel. And uh, the other one, what was it? Uh, uh, the court jester. Oh, uh, the court. Uh, golly darn. I, I honestly don't remember how that came about. might have been Carl Flock uh, suggested that uh, in the old days, the king would get angry if uh, any of his aides came to him with uh, negative information. But allegedly... The court gesture uh, could get away with it because he would say it in a humorous way and the king would not get angry uh, because of who was saying it. Uh, it was something like that.
0: Right. Yeah, it's, it's impressive. It's impressive titles and it shows you don't necessarily take yourself as seriously as a lot of the other people that maybe. Yeah, you know, I
1: think uh, possibly some people don't take me seriously enough, but on the other hand, uh, Uh, That is uh, one of the failings of the UFO field. Uh, I'm not on the Internet at all, which makes me anachronistic at best, but I do have uh, people that send me reams of stuff uh, from the net, especially one uh, guy who is now my contributing editor. And while I was waiting to go on your show here, I was just uh, reading some stuff. Uh, These people, uh, these uh, supposedly leading researchers, get so, Comments uh, that go on and on, and uh, I find it uh, strange and amusing. I guess it's just really a, a handful of people that pay that much attention to all this, uh, but uh, maybe I don't know 20 or 30 people altogether, and they just mix it up to suit themselves and they uh, insult each other and apologize and uh, they go on and on endlessly. I I'm glad I uh, have better things to do than that, uh, actually.
0: Yeah. You have a... Um, tell us about, first, so people know what we're referencing, because you've had correspondence, people send you stuff. You've been publishing a, a magazine or a newsletter for called Saucer Smear, which I do have linked up online from Roswell for people that want to check it out. Do you have... Um, how long has Saucer Smear been running?
1: Well, it had a different title in the early years, uh, Saucer News, which isn't that different. I started it in uh, 1954, so I'm now in my 54th year or something around in there. Uh, let me just see here. Volume uh, volume 55 now. So we haven't completed our 55th year. That's what it is. So do you describe it more as a newsletter or a magazine? Well, uh, you giving me an opening there. Of course, there may be some foul way they could get it from the net, but they can get it directly from me, and uh, it is an eight-page newsletter. Uh, might I uh, mention uh, how they can get it from me? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> well, I thought you'd never ask. Um, at, uh, <laughs> we
0: got two hours here. <laughs> right. We'll get to it all.
1: <laughs> yeah, all right. Well, uh, it's Saucer Smear, uh, P.O. Box. 1709 Key West, that's two words, Florida 33041. And what uh, we don't have a subscription price, uh, there's reasons for that, but they're very complicated. What we ask for is a free will love offering, but I warn uh, people not to make it too trivial. Send a reasonable number of dollars, and we will put you on our mailing list uh, for the rest of the year. And that's how it goes.
0: Yeah, and that arrives by U.S. mail. Yeah, um, the old-fashioned way. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it. Hey, it still works. It's not as old-fashioned. Postage is going up. I guess you know that better than the rest of us, huh?
1: Well, now they have those forever postage stamps. I, I'm surprised that they never thought of that before. Though so, these will supposedly be good forever, no matter how much the cost of them goes
0: up. How many of these? How many newsletters do you send out at a time?
1: Like well, non- that's uh, a
0: non-subscriber. That's
1: highly classified information.
0: Oh, okay. More
1: than two and less than uh, two million. It's right in between there somewhere.
0: Oh, I was just asking on the price of postage. What line of oh, reading?
1: yeah. Well, it, postage comes to a good bit because it's uh, first-class mail. But uh, you know, what can you do?
0: No. Do you um? Uh, so most often, would you say it's book reviews or reports of conferences? Things. You well,
1: well, it's not so much either of those things. Well, what I do is, from all the stuff that comes in, and most of the, it is junk that I just couldn't possibly use. Again, opinion, 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 on and on, endlessly, no substance to it. What I look for, and I don't find it as often as I would like. I look for good sightings, but not necessarily lights in the sky. It's uh, become uh, the uh, rule in in recent years, especially, in my opinion, that uh, most of the uh, sightings are t- too far away to be definitive. I mean, you can argue about what was seen, and some will say this and some will say that, but I, I'm interested in close-up uh, uh, incidents where the people have to be either lying or seeing something that has to be unconventional. If, if it's if it's just uh, unclear or in limbo, I uh, try to pass it by. But what I also have is commentary on some of the people that I've known uh, in the field over the years. The one that I'm working on now has a long thing about Gray Barker. I don't know how much you know about him, but he was very big in his day. He was a protege of Ray Palmer and uh... barker had his own magazine for many years also and he was a close friend of mine and uh... gossip about different people i try to keep it within reason and not just insults or anything but if they've done something strange or unusual or made a claim that looks like it's unusually uh... ridiculous i uh... bring it up and uh, then i also get off into so-called fourteen things uh... Uh, occasionally uh, things that fall from the sky or uh, monsters, of course, uh, Bigfoot, uh, the uh, Flatwoods Monster, any of those. If there's something new to say, I try not to go back over the right. same ground all the time. Yeah, And uh, so really, uh, since... Nobody's telling me what to write. It's just whatever suits my fantasy. Uh, <laughs> fantasy. Fancy, I meant Fancy. to say. <laughs> well, that's a Freudian slip.
0: Yeah, I'm sure uh, there's plenty in the field that would say <laughs> fantasy. <laughs> describes
1: <laughs> Whatever suits my fantasy. Uh, and uh, I try to make it interesting, and the rather small group that get it directly from me uh, seem to enjoy it. Uh, the ones that get it from the net, I don't usually hear from. Although my phone number is right on the masthead, but I don't get that many calls. Uh, people write in sometime, and I have a letters section for that. And uh, you'd really have to look at it. Well, you've seen it, I'm sure,
0: haven't you? Oh, absolutely, yes, yes. Yeah. I actually haven't upped my non-subscription in a while. Oh, oh, yeah, right. Phone, I, I think I'm I, I need to.
1: I think we talked about that. Yeah.
0: Yes, you scolded me. I think. No, yeah. <laughs> No. Yeah, you know what? You can mention for the readers that you have that are on the Internet, um, the next time you send a publication out, that they can actually hear this interview with you online. We archive them, and then at just a click of the button, someone can listen in on it.
1: Yeah, right. Okay.
0: I know you've got a few non-subscribers that have probably never met you or heard your voice or been to a conference where you spoke at.
1: Well, I don't know. Probably I do have some. Uh, Unfortunately, most of my... Remaining non-subscribers are older people like like myself, and so they have known me in previous years at different conferences. I've been out to Roswell, for instance, three times, but the last <laughs> time was in uh, 2002.
0: And uh, Well, uh, let's tell that story then. You actually spoke at the UFO Museum here, but the way out here, you won't be invited back.
1: Well, it's very peculiar. Uh, <laughs> uh, there was a... Uh, a friend of mine, and I'm just trying to remember his name right now. It was You're a, in
0: town, Dave?
1: Uh, Yeah, Dave Swink.
0: Okay.
1: Yeah, who apparently you know him slightly, right?
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: he was a volunteer for the museum at that time, and I guess temporarily he was in charge of booking people. And so I never talked directly to Julie Schuster, I just talked to him. And he booked me in. It was not at a... Uh, convention I don't think it wasn't the annual thing it was some other time or it might have been the annual thing but not the 50th anniversary I know it wasn't then anyway I was uh, in the afternoon and uh, Friedman was there in the evening so it must have been some vaguely special occasion I
0: remember when you were here uh, yes it was during the festival you were one of the lecturers on the um, Annual lineup along with yeah
1: yeah, but day. it was it was a festival, but it wasn't the fiftieth anniversary. No,
0: no, we do that thing every year. Yeah, we right, rehash, right.
1: Yeah, well then we then it, rehash it
0: and milk it for all it's worth. You well, know that.
1: well, then yeah, well it must have been two thousand and two, then, and because that was the last time I was out there. Well, I don't know. I just got the uh, word that uh, I guess Julie uh, didn't like it. The audience seemed to like it, but. What I did was I talked about other things, and I tried to avoid talking about the Roswell incident because I am not a uh, true believer in the Roswell incident. But unfortunately, in the question period, somebody asked me what I thought of Roswell, and I mentioned the uh, display on one of the walls in in the museum there that uh, shows the Roswell balloon uh, configuration and has some text about it and so on. You've probably seen all that. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I didn't try to make a big thing of it, but I know there were groans and disappointment when I uh, said I didn't think it was an interplanetary event, and I know that's sacrilege in the UFO field, and if I could point to one reason why I didn't get invited back, that might be it. Uh, Dave Swink uh, fell out of favor uh, with Julie sometime after that. I don't know if this had anything to do with it, but he... He got fired as a volunteer, which is hard yes. to do. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. No, actually, it's not there. Of all, it's you would think it's hard to do, but uh, I think they've had more than uh, two or three volunteers get fired for one reason or another. Incompetence could be one of them.
1: Yeah. Well, I I think he probably did all right at what he was supposed to be doing, but who knows? I would think more a personality clash. I, I sure don't know Julie very well, but I have a feeling that she may be hard to get along with, to put it mildly. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So, Do you know her?
0: Well, we've met, of course. Yeah. Roswell—it's a small town. You know, we we'll yeah, bump into yeah. each other at Walmart or something. Or, yeah.
1: Well, or yeah. choose
0: to go the other direction.
1: Yeah. Well, bump into we right. each
0: other before bumping into. No, ill will no malice. That I don't think. Just different views, different stuff. I'm one of the black sheep, like you when it comes specifically to the roswell incident um you've got a whole book on your view of it
1: uh, oh no that, no that's
0: contained in is
1: well, well contained it's, in it's mentioned in my book but what you're thinking of there is a whole book by my co-author carl flock mm-hmm. uh, called uh roswell um uh, oh yes inconvenient inconvenient facts. facts and the will to believe bingo yeah that's thanks it. and uh of course he passed on a couple of years ago I think yeah. if he was alive he'd want to update it because uh, you know new witnesses still keep coming forward and always is something new going on and uh, I do uh, take a lot of space talking about Roswell in uh, saucer smear just for that reason because uh, I get I get amused by some of the things that that show up on on the subject uh, but his book was In his opinion, at least, and in the opinion of other people, mostly skeptics, I guess, it was the definitive book. And it's very detailed and very well done, but he doesn't think it was an interplanetary event. He got uh, a bad mark for that sort of uh, for two reasons. He's a former CIA person who Mm -hmm. I truly believe his interest in saucers was apart from the work that he did for the government when he when he worked for for the government he uh, quit that uh, quite a few years ago and started just uh, uh, living as a freelance writer but of course that was a strike against him and even though he is a, a believer in saucers he's not a believer in Roswell and so I think the two strikes there uh, were against him and uh, in general he's not trusted very much in the UFO field and it's a pity because he uh, uh, he was an enthusiastic saucer fan. He he came by way of science fiction. Uh, I think he ghost wrote uh, some books
0: for science
1: fiction authors earlier oh, no. in his career. Yeah.
0: And he's the the co-author with you. Uh, probably after we do a break or commercial in a little bit,
1: there's a lot of
0: uh, just uh, a lot of comments or a lot of stuff to dig into on your book, shockingly close to the truth. All right. Uh, that you co-authored with him. Right. But I just I found it funny after you know 2002 was marking for you when you were here in Roswell, almost 50 years of holding UFO conferences, writing a regular newsletter comes out several times a year, going to conferences, reading the books that are available out there. So you 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 know I mean you do your fair share of research, and uh, I guess uh, people often know that you you give some what people might call harsh reviews. Um, of certain individuals or of certain books and topics?
1: Well, for instance, in the forthcoming uh, issue, by the way, it comes out about ten times a year, not quite every month, but almost. I have a a review. uh, Now, you know who Timothy Green Beckley is, right? Mm -hmm. And he uh, is a book publisher and all sorts of things, and he's been in the field almost as long as I have. And he writes a... uh, uh, or rather, he has reprinted uh, two books that were written by Orfeo Angelusi many years ago. Angelusi was one of, of the early contactees that used to speak out of Giant Rock, California. And he had two books called Son of the Sun and Secret of the Saucers. And uh, this has just come out, as I say, reprinted in in one book uh, form. And uh, in in my review, I, d- <laughs> I didn't bother to read the two books uh, that are contained in there because they're very long. But I did get uh, a bit into Orpio's uh, personality because I met him a few times out in California in the old days, and I found uh, some of his uh, comments interesting. But uh, it's it kind of, uh, <laughs> kind of uh, a bit heavy to go into uh, on the radio. I don't know. I don't want to shock anybody, Uh uh, in in my book, uh, if you look up under uh, Angelusi in the index, you'll you'll find a very revealing story about Orpheo, and it has nothing whatever to do with space people. Actually, I'll just give you this one hint: it has to do with sheep.
0: Oh, sheep. Okay. Maybe we shouldn't go into that on. A yes, perhaps program. not. <laughs> After all. Yes so you used to like make the trek out to giant rock in california landers in the uh... Sierra. Yes. era
1: uh-huh.
0: okay yeah we i just came from there nick Redfern, uh... greg bishop adam go rightly and the retro ufo conference it's not a plug because the events already happened yeah
1: i know i uh... wrote it up uh... just mm-hmm. before it happened in in the current smear and uh if i was still getting around like i used to i would have been very glad to go and i was disappointed to hear that you didn't have a good crowd uh, but as you said to me on the phone the other day i guess it's uh, kind of a chore to get out there on the desert and uh... it really isn't near anything else and uh... if you want a motel or something it'd be quite a few miles away
0: yeah all the conferences nowadays you've got your wonderful uh you know, air-conditioned, and you've got your conference rooms where it all happens. I think it's the first time I met you was one in Texas in ninety nine, 2000, or something like that.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure. I don't remember, but I, it could very well be. Yeah, most of them are indoors, like you say, uh, but in the old days, it was uh, outdoors. Uh, most of the people that went out to Giant Rock, which is a couple miles, I think, uh, from the Integratron, where you had your thing. Yes. uh, They would uh, bring their campers and so on, uh, or sleep under the stars. I doubt if most of them uh, tried to get a motel room or anything. So you'd have a crowd of a couple of thousand people just uh, sleeping basically out on the desert. It was quite an interesting scene.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. One thousand people at a UFO conference today is considered a huge success. Well,
1: remember, uh, one... Key thing: there was no admission charge,
0: so uh. you, you
1: could just—that's the difference. So you could just go and uh, enjoy yourself. Uh, they did run a little uh, hamburger stand. Uh, he and his wife. I mean, you know, you'd rather have a hamburger from them, or rather than go all the way back into town. So I mean, uh, they did profiteer that way, but I mean, on a very small scale. Uh, Van Tassel was a very nice guy. He was a contactee. I never really believed in the contactees, but he was very nice to me and everybody else. He had a microphone up on top of the rock and uh, a little uh, wooden stairway going up to it, and he'd let you go up there and say anything you wanted and talk as long as you wanted to. And, uh, you know, real free speech, no uh, confines of uh, time or uh, all the paraphernalia you you have to have these days to... uh, give a proper lecture in a hall. So it was a free-swinging thing. It was very, very nice. There were a lot of drugs there, I think. Of course, I didn't see that, but uh, I heard that there were (laughs) drugs there. And uh, people had a real nice time.
0: That's interesting. You described Van Tassel as not being a contactee. Do you think he was in contact with something or just making everything up or what?
1: No, uh, no, no! I, I uh, think you misunderstood me. He was a contactee, yes.
0: Okay, but you said you didn't believe in the contactee. Yeah, meeting.
1: in general, no, I, I didn't, and uh, he, I'm, I never really got it clear of, of what his means of contact was, but I do believe that he got the instructions for building the Integratron from the space people by uh, telepathy, I think. And then his fans uh, made donations to pay for it, but as you probably know, the Integratron was never finished. Let me ask you, is it still empty inside? Uh, they never got any of the machinery into it that was supposed to go in, right?
0: I don't think they have the machinery they wanted. You can't describe it as empty, though, but it's just filled with tables and chairs and displays. And oh, yeah, chairs?
1: that would be now, but I mean, okay. none of the original... Uh, machines uh, for want of a better word that were part of the purpose of the building they were never completed and they were never put in there
0: i think not in the sense that you're asking although there is a guy who is retired uh and now giving himself over to rebuilding or finishing the work uh-huh was there and he was showing his designs and stuff like that so maybe it will get picked up
1: well i i know one time i was out there And uh, I don't remember the details, but uh, we had somebody in our car. I don't remember who else was in the car, but one uh, person was an insider with the uh, convention staff or whatever, and he had the keys to the Integratron. And he opened it up, and we looked inside, and at that time there was nothing. It was kind of amusing. I mean, it's a very fine dome, and you'd expect to find something interesting inside. It was just absolutely empty.
0: But if you thought that um many of the the 50s, 60s, 70s era contactees weren't really uh in contact with space beings or anything would you say they were making it up or he was or they were in Well, contact with I think, I just I, wonder how did you write about
1: Well, I think it's a combination period? of things uh, 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 having to do with the will to believe. Uh, some of them I think were probably sincere, some of them were just trying to make money and any combination of the two i mean human psychology is very complex i would be the last person to say that i can solve the mystery of anything especially what goes on in somebody's mind you know what i mean mm-hmm. uh like angelo uh Lucy, orfeo rather angel he uh comes across in his books and in his uh short uh, autobiography as being a sort of uh, etheric, sickly type, uh, nervous disorders and so forth. And uh, I really thought, well, you know, this probably explains uh, uh, the basis of his uh, belief system of having seen and uh, mingled with these space creatures. But when I met him, he was entirely different. He was just a uh, sort of a regular guy, and he, he didn't seem that way at all. So I mean, you know, it's it's complicated. I'm I'm really not here to judge anybody. You know, the longer I stay in this thing, I the more I see just how complicated the whole thing is. But I'll also say that not just in regard to the uh, contactees, but in general, there is more bullshit than anything else. I have to say that uh, it it gets so weighted down with just talk, uh, you could call it, uh, that I really can't blame serious people and particularly uh, people with a scientific background unless they have a lot of patience and you know I'm I'm trying to be sort of serious here if you come in from the outside unless you are very patient and very dedicated and very eager to get to the bottom of the saucer mystery you're going to read a lot of this stuff and you're going to say oh my god forget it and you'll walk away Mm -hmm. and I I, it's They blame the ridicule factor. Well, yes, uh, a lot of uh, professional writers and columnists and so forth, uh, they add to the problem because it's very easy to make fun of a lot of these things. But in a way, the subject ridicules itself. I mean, as I say again, it takes too much patience, more than the average person has, to uh, really uh, get to the bottom of it and uh, find... Uh, the serious uh, core, and I um, believe more than ever that there is something going on, something ultimately very important.
0: Ah, okay. Uh, oh
1: no, no, I'm far from being a skeptic. I right. don't think I don't think it's space people that look almost like us and people giving us sweet messages and all. I I, I think there's some weird deception here. And uh, I know you have religious overtones. You may have your own opinions on all that. Uh, But uh, uh, there is deception or somebody, uh, some intelligence just playing with us, playing fun and games. When you uh, get to the bottom of it, when a saucer is seen at close range and when the beings on it are seen close up, it's almost true to say that no two are alike uh no Very
0: t- true <laughs> no
1: true uh no two uh, philosophers from other planets or little men or abduction artists or whoever give the same story yes there's a thread that runs through all of it similarities but that's not good enough the craft always looked different They operate differently, the lighting system is different, the interior is different, you name it. And that's another reason why serious people, especially scientists, they read all this, and if there's no consistency, they can't handle it, because science doesn't go that way. You've got to find a pattern. And if there's no pattern, it's very tempting to say, forget it.
0: Yeah, do you think that the difference in the reports has are you saying that probably has a lot more to do with the experiencer or the human psychology than say there's just a vast array of different races.
1: well, in other words, people see things differently if you have a it's always said when there's a car accident, everybody yeah. has a little different spin on it, but there is a core that is the same among all of the witnesses to a car accident unless some of them are lying for their own reasons uh Unfortunately, you can't explain the differences between how these saucers all look as as just that. I mean, they are different. I mean, they just have to be because nobody could be that deluded if they're looking at something that they're seriously observing and trying to tell the truth about what they're seeing. The differences couldn't be as overwhelming as they are.
0: Well said, actually. I think uh, Greg Bishop gave a talk, or that was part of his talk.
1: Yeah, Bishop retro. and and I, uh, you know, I know him very well, and he and I agree on a lot of things. I think his Roswell book was uh, very <laughs> far out, uh, and it's worse than some of the other uh, theories. I mean, you know, he... he, he Greg
0: Bishop or Nick Redfern?
1: Uh, oh, I'm sorry, yeah, uh, the guy that wrote the book recently. Uh,
0: yeah, that was...
1: Redfern, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. No,
0: you've, you've been following this forever. Um, so you've got a lot of uh, names and books you've read. I wanted to uh, cover, as, you know, 50 years plus going in this. I know you've got some interesting stories, some funny stories, et cetera. One of the things that was on the website that I... Um, or that on your 50th anniversary thing was you were described as a UFO hoaxer, the straight letter. Yes. What's the story on that? What hoax did you pull off in ufology?
1: Well, of course, that's written up in my book and elsewhere, but uh, I was very close friends with Gray Barker. He didn't have a serious approach to the uh, UFO thing. Uh, I think I was more serious about it uh, by far uh, than he was. He considered himself an entertainer. Uh, At at the beginning of his interest, I think he believed some of it, but he himself didn't, uh, how could I say it, as he observed the field and the people in it and and all the different stories that were told, I guess he just didn't choose to believe it. So he was lighthearted about it, (coughs) and and he printed all kinds of uh, books and articles, and he had a saucer magazine himself called The Saucerian, most of which he printed, I don't think he he believed. So that's the context of it. And uh, we were close friends, and I would go down uh, to Clarksburg, West Virginia a couple of times a year to visit him, and he'd usually come up to uh, the New York area maybe once a year and and visit me. And uh, we uh, drank a lot, and uh, one evening, I don't remember just how we got into it. Well, the background is this. He had a High up in the State Department, and I think he's mentioned uh, by name in the book, but in general i don't mention his name but <laughs> if you <laughs> mention it once that 's probably enough but any anyway, this uh, kid uh had gotten all kinds of stationery uh in Washington from the State Department and uh, different government agencies uh, i don 't remember just which ones, and we sat down that night and we wrote hoax letters not just to george adamsky uh, but to uh, four or five other people, each with a different letterhead from a different agency. And most of the people just uh, <clears throat> had a clue as to uh, what it was or just wrote it off as uh, somebody's hoax or didn't care or whatever. But Georgia Dansky got very uh, uh, taken in. Uh, I don't know whether he believed that the uh, letter was authentic from the State Department, but... Uh, More likely than not, he didn't care, because it said, in essence, that uh, uh, some of us here at the State Department uh, believe uh, your material, but we can't come out publicly at this time and say so. But, you know, like we're with you in spirit, I'm just paraphrasing it. And, uh, uh, you know, keep up the good work, and hopefully I will be able to get together with you sometime soon. And it's signed uh, R.E. Straith from the Cultural Affairs Committee and uh, there, uh, deliberately there is no such committee.
0: <laughs> that's, okay.
1: that's supposed to be a clue, but it wasn't enough to uh, to, to uh, make uh, most people wake up. Well, Adamski, more than anyone else, loved uh, this letter, and he, of course, uh, publicized it and cir- circulated. And uh, the uh, State Department, I believe, and or the FBI, eventually came to him and said, look, uh, uh, this letter is a hoax and it's not authentic and we don't want you to be publicizing it like this. Uh, cut it out. Uh, Words to that effect. And, of course, <laughs> the, the government is never any uh, different than stupid in so many things that they do. In their own indirect way, they've added to the saucer mystery by giving ridiculous explanations that a lot of times it just... Couldn't possibly work. Well, of course, that was the greatest thing that could have happened to a Damski, and he publicized it more. And I, I
0: think they just finally and <laughs> said that the FBI threatened him. Right? Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, why would they threaten him unless he was close to the truth, you it? And uh, so, uh, yeah, we had a lot of fun with that. And uh, as soon as Gray Barker died in 1984, uh, if you have all of these uh, issues logged, and I don't know whoever anywhere does, but the first issue of 1985, I confessed the whole thing. I I told him I was going to do that Uh, for various reasons, because uh, it was fun when it happened, but
0: 877 786
1: There's a guy in Venice, California, um, uh, Tim um, Crawford. Uh, You must have heard of him. I think so. UFO TV? Yes. Me, so uh, just to beware of that. I just uh, you should know.
0: Well, yeah. If you go ten times a year, if someone subscribes for even twenty five dollars, the amount that you put into postage and printing, they're not breaking even. So a dollar ninety nine for a PDF to read on your computer is pretty fair.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think so.
0: Yeah, an eight page newsletter.
1: Yeah, he pays me quarterly. We've been. To, I think we're in our second year now, and. I can't reveal the uh, figure uh, that I get quarterly for him. I'm saving up for a new Cadillac. It's going to take a while, but uh, I'm working on it.
0: All right. And I've noticed, again, if you're online and you just want to check out some of the old issues and editorials and oh, occasionally exposes or opinionated articles that Jim has written, um, click through the link on livefromroswell.com to the Sausage Schmier magazine if you keep scrolling down, if you're looking at that archive, a lot of them want you to pay $1.99 to get it. But if you just keep going, uh, I think it, the links actually change colors from blue to red. You can actually read online a lot of the older ones. Someone told me, um, not told me, but it was uh, someone who's listening right now, did a comment in our Pal Talks virtual auditorium uh, that they hoped Thor Valiant wasn't listening tonight because you were once mean to Dr. Strange's. Do you remember anything you've written about that? No, wait, wait, wait,
1: wait. Say that again. Who isn't listening because of what?
0: Um, I, just a, someone who is listening commented, they hope that Thor Valiant is not listening. Oh, no,
1: it's Val Thor, Valiant Thor. Val,
0: thank you. Yeah, I, I remember Yeah, it yeah,
1: you've got him backwards. Mm-hmm.
0: And, uh, I grew up on comic books. Thor. No, no, Thor.
1: well, it's uh, there's a lot of points raised there. Now, I'm on very good terms with Dr. Frank Stranges, who is the one that wrote the book Stranger at the Pentagon, right. which came out, I think, in the late 50s, and that tells us all about Val Thor. Uh, it's funny that you mention comic books, because uh, Val, of course, is short for valiant, I suppose, and Thor is the Norse god of something. I'm not sure, but Thor is a very well-known pagan god. Mm-hmm. right and uh, so it sounds like uh, a name that a comic book hero should have i hate to say that but uh, what else could i say it it's not a, a good name for a space being and uh that's, i don't really uh have a great deal of belief in, in val thor but strangers is a nice guy and we keep in touch it uh Recently, it's going on for a few years now, he's been trying to get together the funds to make a, a movie out of this book. Uh, you might not oh, know that.
0: Oh, yeah. I did not know that. A yeah. movie based on the account of Val Thor, mm-hmm. Valiant Thor?
1: Yeah. Well, and, did you
0: write something like um, negative or just saying you don't believe it's legitimate back in the era when The Stranger in the Pentagon came out?
1: Probably, yeah.
0: This probably sounds like something I would do. Yeah,
1: right, but uh, funny enough, uh, we were on cool terms for a while. Uh, there are a couple of kind of nasty digs uh, at him in my book, if I recall. Uh, but um, he's let it uh, roll off his back, uh, and uh, I have nothing against him. He's a nice guy, and uh, we keep in touch, and he's uh, a paid non-subscriber, and uh uh, he's getting elderly. I don't know how realistic this book is, he's tr- uh, this movie, rather. Uh, he's trying to raise $25 million, which is a good amount. But he says that, um, oh, uh, one of the big movie stars who I don't particularly like and whose name I can't think of now, but is uh, supposed to be in it if it ever takes place. And uh, I would love to see this movie. What I find amusing is he admits they're going to have to fictionalize it a little bit. Hmm. Uh, How do you fictionalize fiction? (laughs) It's hard to do. But anyway, uh, I have a terrible feeling that he's not going to get it together. He's been working on it for a long time, but I certainly would look forward to it if it ever comes out.
0: It would be a fun movie to watch, no doubt. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it would really probably... There's, there's tons of people that would assume it's true or just uh, a fictionalized account of you See, now
1: this is the kind of thing I print. It, it's in the either the current issue or the one before that. I kid you not, there's a lady in her 70s, and she gives her name, and this is from the net somewhere, uh, and she claims that uh, back in 1950 or 52, she married Balthor, And uh, uh, something about he was rumored to have another wife on Venus, but uh, it turned out not to be true. Something about uh, sex scenes of her and Val Thor together that somehow got out to the public, which is very peculiar. And her thrust is that she's afraid that uh, Strangers is going to use her her material in his book without giving her credit or money. And to me, it's kind of hilarious. I mean... uh, if he's fictional to begin with, and he didn't uh, wasn't invented until about fifty-seven, what was he doing on Earth with her in nineteen fifty or fifty-two? It kind of boggles her mind.
0: So if she's making it up, she deserves a cut or credit as, as the fiction author. Is that what you might pardon me? <laughs> so you might say she's after her cut as yeah, yeah. It author. sounds that way. Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. very strange story. If you read enough net that stuff, you come across some very weird
0: material. Yeah, so you're pretty much on record of saying you, you believe that The Stranger in the Pentagon thing is fiction? Well, yes.
1: I mean, you know, again, I don't mean it unkindly, but uh, I don't believe it, no.
0: Are there any other, uh, like, I'd say just popular books or staples of ufology um, that that you've written negatively about or... You know, oh, I mean, I
1: loads of them, but I mean, I couldn't uh, tell you off the top of my head. Uh, we rarely give a, a good review to anything, uh, is one of our mottos in Smear. Uh, <laughs> sometimes I'll speak well of the author uh, or the publisher, but not the book itself. That's how I am with, as I told you, uh, the rebirth of Orpio Angelucci's two books as uh, Put out recently by Timothy Green Beckley.
0: Uh, you ever had any nasty run ins with people that you've written about? Like you see them in person later on at an event?
1: Well, yes. Uh, I, one uh, thing comes to mind. I've had a, a running feud uh, with, uh, uh, my mind is not sharp tonight, uh, oh, the abduction of uh, Bud Hopkins by Bud Hopkins uh, he and I got off on the wrong foot Uh, I had a long thing about this just a couple of issues ago but we got off on the wrong foot very specifically back in 1976 and uh, sometimes I do hold a grudge Uh, he told me very distinctly on the phone that if I didn't do something that he wanted me to do he would see to it that I never published anything again and that, is, that isn't a nice thing to say. And I thought that he had the power to do that. Uh, and it turns out he was just mouthing off and uh, saying what he felt like saying. But anyway, uh, based on that, he and I have never gotten along, and uh, uh, more so when he came out with the Linda Cortell story. Um, the, uh, what is the name of the book? Uh, uh, where she's uh, uh, levitated out the window of her apartment in, in New York City. You're familiar with that, aren't you?
0: Mm-hmm. Is that the intruder's one? Uh, or, uh, no, 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 no. Wait, wait, wait. Uh,
1: no. No, this is a specific incident that happened in uh, New York City around 1987 or 89. This woman whose uh, pen name or stage name was Linda Cortell uh, was in her apartment in Lower Manhattan, and a saucer came up to the window and levitated her out into the saucer and eventually somehow brought her back. And that is a very controversial story, in my opinion, totally untrue. But I, I got to know Linda Cortill, uh, whose real name is uh, different from that, and uh, I was the first one to uh, print her real name uh publicly, and he got furious about that, but that was years after the other problem that we had had. Yeah. Anyway, did
0: she you had, get furious about that? Pardon me? Did she get furious with you? About no, that's, that, that's, that's a
1: very funny thing. She, I've, I've met her a few times since then at, at conventions. She uh, overlooked it, and she's a paid non-subscriber. She sent me a nice Christmas card just recently. Mm-hmm. she's a very nice woman but i still don't believe her story but you asked if i ever had a confrontation with any of these people which right, i was at uh... some convention a few years ago i think the two of them were there together uh, linda and uh... Bud hopkins and uh, but he was sitting by himself when this happened and i came uh... by there was some people gathered around and listening to him. I, it wasn't a formal lecture. He was just talking to some people informally. And when he saw me, he gave me the finger in front of <laughs> all these people. And turned out he wanted me to take a picture of him doing that. And I didn't get the right message. I thought he was furious and was going to come and hit me. So I uh, just uh, moved on. And I, I didn't take the picture, but that's what he wanted me to do. To
0: publish in the magazine? Yeah, I guess like so. It, know. It, it yeah. went, Why would he... It,
1: it would have been a great picture, but I didn't. I didn't get it.
0: So you kind of backed off, I guess.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, so once in a while, you know, these things happen. Usually, people, when they see each other in person, they try to smooth over their differences and at least be civil to each other. You know.
0: True. True. Yeah, I can think of a few instances. People that are, you know, not close with me, but whenever I see them in person, they're nice. They do yeah. write or say stuff bad about me, um, but they sure act nice when I'm around or when they want something. You probably have experienced the same thing, that people are, they're nice to you, so that they'll hope you'll say something nice about them.
1: Uh, again, from the Internet, Paul Kimball went to the X Conference. Uh, I don't know if it was the most, re- yeah, it must have been the uh, recent one. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Uh, He uh, and uh, Bassett, uh, Stephen Bassett. That's right. Yeah, don't uh, get along because uh, Kimball doesn't believe in the whole exo politics thing. Nor do I, by the way. I I think Kimball is a little talkative and egotistical, but he seems like a a very uh, sincere guy, and I I believe uh, most of his points of view. But anyway, uh, uh, Bassett. Knew uh, Kimball's views, and they uh, got into a discussion at the bar. This is all on the net. I was. Hey,
0: can I pick this up with you after break? We're at the eight of, uh, top of the hour. Here.
1: Yeah, go ahead. Uh, how long yeah. is the break? I do
0: Yeah, just about five or six minutes. We're okay. Gonna take yeah. A break. We play uh, some music, do a commercial. Okay. And, uh, I'll, I'll
1: be back on the phone long before that. All right.
0: Okay, yeah, invite our listeners to come back to Live from Roswell, live from com on the Paranormal Radio Network after these messages. Yeah, I'm sure, yeah, you said there's a lot of that in the field. Oh. Well, uh, let's uh, tone that word down somehow. Welcome back once again to Live from Roswell. I am Guy Malone hosting tonight. We're broadcasting globally on the Paranormal Radio Network and on UPRN 105.8 FM in New Orleans. We're resuming our conversation with Jim Mosley, the editor of Saucer Smear magazine or newsletter, co-author of Shockingly Close to the Truth, Confessions of a Grave-Robbing Ufologist. We'll pick up here in a minute with a couple stories. He's got from his 50 years plus in the field. And you can join in the fun by calling us uh, toll free, even with a question uh, for Jim at 877 786 0562 or email me, talk to me at live from roswell.com. A reminder that our program is always sponsored in part by Alien Resistance HQ, aka AlienResistance.org, featuring biblical perspectives on UFOs and abductions as well as DVDs from past UFO conferences held here in sunny Roswell, New Mexico, start at www.alienresistance.org or live from for info on some discounts on DVDs of those conferences, and for many more that are on a name-your-own-price donation basis at alienresistance.org. And also worth mentioning, there is a classic Christian book on UFOs and Nephilim and Genesis 6, that's been out of print for years now called The Omega Conspiracy by I.D.E. Thomas that has just been re-released. I just wanted anyone who's interested to know that it's available again. I've seen it listed for a couple hundred bucks on Amazon occasionally if you want a used one, but I've got a link up to the new release of the book on livefromroswell.com. Also, you can get that for just a couple hundred bucks, or for like ten bucks now. And we're back with Jim Mosley, the editor and still Supreme Commander of Saucer Smear, co-author of Shockingly Close to the Truth. Uh, Before we broke, you were talking, uh, telling a story, Paul Kimball and Steve Bassett in a bar.
1: Well, I think we've uh, finished it. It was just that they uh, got into some kind of discussion. Oh, yes, uh, Paul got on Gene Steinberg's uh, Internet show, uh, Paracast, whatever it is i heard you,
0: of Paracast. I'm not sure about Gene.
1: Pardon me? Or, I don't know
0: if that's the right name, if it's, yeah, that's uh, Paracast, but he went on there after the ex-conference, I
1: uh, mean? Uh, Paranet or Paracast, uh, one or the other. Yeah, uh, they had Paul on one night. I didn't hear it, uh, but he went into detail about it. it it's just uh, really, you know, the confrontation isn't really that important, but they have entirely different approaches to the UFO subject, uh Uh, Stephen Bassett, uh, with his whole organization, if he has one, all of his people and uh, the other speakers that he's friendly with, they all believe that there is a government conspiracy to hide the truth about saucers from the public. And I guess that's an easy uh, opinion to form, and I'm sure a lot of people feel that way. For various reasons, I just don't think so. I doubt that they know an awful lot more about it than than we do. They certainly would have specific pieces of evidence that the public doesn't have, I would think, like gun camera film and stuff like that. But I don't think that they have crashed disks or uh, uh, little creatures that uh, were found dead in the disks, and I don't think they've uh, 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 reverse-engineered alien technology or any of that. So uh, that's basically where Bassett is coming from with his ex conference, which he now holds twice a year, as you undoubtedly know. And uh, Kimball is, as I say, more toward my point of view on on most things, including that one. So they have a basic difference of opinion, and they uh, just about came to blows at the bar at the last ex conference. And I I didn't hear uh, I didn't hear Kimball's. Spiel on uh, radio, but I think he had a shorter write up on the net, which I read. Yeah.
0: Oh, wow. Uh, re- recounting the discussion he had with Steve or confrontation or just. Yeah,
1: well, the whole, it, yeah, the just general. an outline of, of, of what went wrong there. And uh, so naturally there are strong differences of, of opinion in the field, and I think one of the things that uh, people like about me, if they like me at all, is that I, although I always insist uh, correctly that I am a believer, uh, but I don't get bent out of shape about it, and I don't go berserk if someone else has a different opinion, or even if they're a total skeptic. I mean, I have friends that I don't even bring the subject up with because there's no particular reason. If they're not interested, why should I, you know? So I I don't go overboard on it, and I do have a sense of humor, and some people like that. And uh, people like that are the kind of people that should uh, non-subscribe to Saucer Smear, actually.
0: Yeah, it's available by donation, free will, love offering to become a non-subscriber at P.O. Box. Fill us in.
1: Oh, P.O. Box 1709, Key West. Florida, 33041.
0: And that's always going to be linked in the archives of livefromroswell.com for today, May 11th. Mother's Day, by the way. Happy Mother's Day to the mothers out there who are actually get a quiet moment and are listening to the program now. And uh, depending on where you are, you've still got time to call your mom if you haven't, people. I did. My wife did. We're all caught up. Come on, you can do it, too. Call your mom if you haven't already. You can be like my brother and call collect if you have to. He's kind of out there, needs us. So even if you have to call collect, she wants to hear from you. Had to throw that in there.
1: That's all right. Uh, my daughter was here earlier, and uh, she has several children, thus I have several grandchildren. So she's definitely a, a mother. And we had a, a Mother's Day dinner together a while ago.
0: Oh, very nice. Very nice. Yeah, better than going out to eat. I had to deal with that crowd today. <laughs> but anyway, in fact, you know what? In one of your stories, we were talking about this already. Uh, you actually got to meet President Truman and discuss UFOs a bit with him. I've heard you tell the story in Hollywood at the conference uh, when you were speaking there.
1: Oh, yes. Can you
0: recount some of that here? Well,
1: yeah, the background is this. The way I got into the saucer field was in 1953. I met a professional writer who... Uh, mainly wrote about uh, treasure hunting, which is my other interest. But uh, when he got to realize that I was interested in plying saucers, he invited me to co-author a book with him, and that never happened. And they were talking about 1953. <laughs> uh, the book that I co-authored with uh, uh, Carl Plot came out exactly 49 years later, so I guess there was a little delay oh. in, in that whole thing. Uh, So that didn't work out, but he got me motivated, and I had the time and money, and I took my car in the fall of 1953, and I went out more or less the southern route uh, to California, interviewing along the way anyone I could think of that had been mentioned in the early uh, UFO books as having uh, had an important sighting, or uh, people who were... Uh, recognized scientists who had an important opinion, or anyone else that could add uh, to the uh, uh, book. And I uh, came back uh, uh, a few weeks later with uh, about a 100 pages of single-space typewritten notes, which I still have. Mm -hmm. And uh, as I say, the book never came out, but uh, these were valuable notes, especially since no one ever, no one else ever did that. It's just that I happened to have done it, and so I have a material there that wouldn't exist otherwise. Well, on my way back from California, I took a different route, and I went through uh, Independence, Missouri, which is where Harry Truman had a office after he uh, retired uh, from the presidency. So he would have retired in uh, early 1953. And I saw him in January of 54, so it wasn't that much later. And uh, I called him on the uh, phone. He had a little office, apparently by himself, and he answered the phone himself. And he uh, told me, I think it was a Saturday or something, and he told me to come by Monday morning and he would see me. But he didn't make an exact time, and that uh, turns out to be important, I guess. So I went to his office, and I knocked on the door and he answered the door himself but I believe it was a two room office very small and rather humble there was an inner office as there uh, most of the time would be and then an outer room uh, so when I walked into the outer room I, uh, in looking back at it I have a feeling I was interrupting his conversation that he was having with someone else in the inner room but I never saw the person and I don't know who it was I'm not even sure there was anyone else there, but it was quite a thrill to be alone, basically, uh, with the president. I mean, you try, with an ex-president, you try doing that these days, it would be absolutely impossible because of all the security concerns. Of course. Uh, So anyway, he was in a hurry, again, I think, because he was uh, interrupting himself, talking to somebody inside the other office. But uh, I said, again, who I was, and I was writing a a book about flying saucers, and uh, He seemed to want to make it pretty brief, and he said, uh, Well, I never saw a purple cow. I never hoped to see one. That was his key uh, comment. One might think he was taking it rather lightly, and I got him to rephrase it and so forth, and I guess I talked to him three or four minutes altogether, and uh, I could see he wasn't going to reveal anything important. Uh So I, I thanked him and I, I met it. I uh, was a great admirer of uh, Truman, and uh, I thanked him and so forth. And I I left. But what's interesting is, you see, Roswell was in '47, and and the uh, events having to do with FJ12 began not later than '52 or or earlier, I guess. Yeah, maybe in the late '40s. I forget exactly when. MJ-12 was supposed to have been organized. So here are two of the greatest mysteries in the saucer field. One might ask, why didn't I ask him about them at least, uh, get him to make a comment or no comment, or I don't know what you're talking about or whatever. The answer is that nobody had heard of either of them at that time. Roswell was (laughs) briefly in the newspapers when it happened, and then it died out very quickly. In a a few days, at least in my opinion, it was forgotten, at least for the time being. And then when saucer researchers came looking into it in 1978 and the first book came out in 1980, then it became gradually the monster that it's become today. Uh, But uh, I would have had no reason to ask him about Roswell because I hadn't heard of it. And the same thing with MJ-12. It wasn't revealed. Until about 1987, when uh, William Moore, who I happen to know very well, came out with uh, the the original uh, group of documents, and then they have been expanded on. I think there are at least a couple of thousand pages of MJ12 documents by now, and they keep coming out more and more. Which is what do you mi- think
0: of? What do you think about them in general? I, in general,
1: I think it's nonsense. I don't think there's anything to it. Um, somebody is having a, a good time for whatever reason, but I mean it's uh, even Stanton Friedman has uh, publicly in his uh, lectures, and maybe not in each lecture, but I've seen him at least a couple of times, uh, shown on a screen a, a original government document that says A, B, C, and D, and the M J twelve hoaxer has changed it to A, B. D and F, you see. And you can see some of the paragraphs are the same. Others are almost the same. But when the reference was, let's just uh, to be very loose about it. If it's uh, something about the government being afraid of the Russians invading, uh, it would say, you know, they're afraid of the space people invading. I mean, they uh, made small changes that changed dramatically the whole meaning. So I... I uh, differ with the people or from the people who believe in mj-12 but i've been just thinking you know had i heard of either of those things both of which are such huge issues in the saucer field it would have been a wonderful opportunity to ask the uh, specific questions but uh, there was no way i could have done that
0: well at least you have the distinction of saying you actually got to ask a not a sitting president, but a retired president, Well, and about then, UFOs. Right, and
1: then there's another story that goes with that. Uh, uh, roughly ten years later, I could find the date in my diary, but it doesn't matter, uh, it was another weekend that I was visiting Gray Barker in uh, Clarksburg, West Virginia, and we read in the newspaper that Harry Truman was coming to town uh, because he was uh, trying to support whoever it was that was running for governor at that time on the democratic ticket you know it's very common for a uh, a bigwig in, in in the party to come uh, to uh, bolster uh, the uh, impact of uh, some lesser person in in the same party uh, you know like uh, uh, bill clinton goes around trying to help his yeah. wife <laughs> sometimes saying things that don't even <laughs> help at all uh, which i find amusing But anyway, so it was no mystery why he was there. And uh, he was staying at the best hotel in town, which has gone downhill and disappeared, but a very nice hotel in uh, Clarksburg. And uh, I'm sure in the newspaper article it said what time the press conference was going to be. Well, I had a phony press card, accredited press. And the, the, the accredited press was... Basically, one guy was a a, laminating machine, (laughs) and and he made these uh, nice-looking press cards because they they were laminated, you know, and they didn't tear or bend easily. But it sounds like uh, uh, the other one associated press, the real one, right? So uh, some people might even confuse one with the other. And it had my picture on it that said uh, any misuse of this card must be reported immediately to the accredited press, and it was a post office box in New York State somewhere. And I actually did a lot of things with that card, but that's another story. So I had uh, my press card, and Gray Barker uh, carried uh, a movie camera on a tripod which uh, to go and crash this press conference. And I don't know to this day why, but he insisted uh, not to put any film in the camera. And I, I said, uh, why, why wouldn't you? And, and I don't know. It was just, I guess, uh, to be more hip than ever or something. He, he had nothing in it, but he carried this heavy tripod all the way over to the hotel, and we went there together. Now, this is the fun part. Uh, Truman was going to see the press at whatever, 5 p.m., let's say. And, and so we got there early, and they had a holding room for the press while they were waiting for the press conference to begin. And this holding room was a small room in the on the ground floor of the hotel, and it was like a no-host bar. They didn't have a bartender in there, but they had ice and all the different mixes and all different kinds of hard liquor. And so uh, I guess there was a dozen or so of the press of the real press people in there, uh, you know, having a drink, waiting for the ex-president, and of course Barker and I. Uh, did the same and and we were in there at least a half hour so we were half bombed uh, by the time uh, we came out because if you mix your own drinks you'll mix them the way you want and uh, finally somebody came and said the president will see you now and we went to another room where there was maybe 50 or 100 seats and a podium up in front and uh it wasn't full by any means there were like 30 people there maybe or so and uh I assume the others were from the real press. I had the feeling, by the way, uh, from talking to the other people in in the drinking room, that they didn't really believe that we were serious uh, members of the working press. But in those days, before any of the assassinations, you know, it it didn't matter that much to anybody anyhow. So uh, we sat down at the press conference, and it it was just like a, a dream come true because they started asking Truman uh, routine questions, whatever they might have been, and he answered a few of them. And then he said, you know, everywhere I go, people ask me the same questions over and over again. he said, I get so tired of this. Doesn't somebody here have a different kind of question? And that was my cue. Yes, sir. And I said, well, as a matter of fact, uh, sir, I do have a different kind of question. I said you wouldn't remember this i'm sure i said but i met you at your office in independence uh, some years ago and i asked you about flying saucers and i wanted to know if in the intervening years you've had any reason to change your mind at that time you didn't seem to think there was much to it but perhaps uh... something in the meanwhile has made you change your mind and it was a uh, well worded and it was a legitimate question and uh... I do not remember the dialogue from that point on. He gave a a facetious answer, uh, and there was laughter. I mean, everybody, uh, this was the high point of the press conference. Everybody was laughing and having a good time, and so was Truman. So I reworded the question, and he gave another uh, facetious answer and uh, more laughter. And I think I reworded it uh, once again, and I knew exactly when to stop so as not to overdo it. And I said, uh, thank you, Mr. Truman, and then sat down. And uh, you would see in my book there's a picture of me shaking hands with Truman that was taken by Barker with right. my camera, with the still camera, as, as I was leaving the hall when the thing was over. So I had two shots at uh, uh, Truman, and I didn't really learn anything either time, but it was a, a kick, and uh, incidentally uh, Harry Truman used to come to Key West a great deal when when he was still alive. and uh, They have a thing here, a tourist attraction called uh, the Little White House, which is still here. It's where he lived when he was in town. Hmm. Yeah, He did it while he was in the service, and he kept coming back after he was in the service. I mean, you know, the service of the presidency.
0: Yeah. I'm looking at the current issue of Saucer Smear, and oh. just, there's a couple things I'll ask you to go ahead and talk about that you have on there. Sure. We're at, we're at the uh, fur part of that. We're actually at the bottom of the hour, and we're not breaking for a commercial. But I'll work in a station identification. You're listening to Live from Roswell with Guy Alone, broadcasting globally on the Paranormal Radio Network. And I want to offer a quick thanks once again to the Mysteries of the Universe Conference for helping sponsor tonight's program. That's going on in Kansas City, Missouri, June 7, 2008, with famed ufologist Stanton Friedman, whom you just spoke of, Jim. And there's a banner on Live from Roswell.com that will take you to all you need to know about that event. And also there's two ways that you can actually listen to this program not only on the internet but on your cell phone now with upsnap you can text p a r a as in paranormal p a P-A-R-A, r a to two seven six two seven on your mobile phone and listen to the paranormal radio network p a r a two text it to two seven six two seven and you can also call two zero one seven six five nine seven three seven and you can begin listening to these programs on the Paranormal Radio Network as they come out live. I'll have that information up on Live from Roswell on the Click Here to Listen link. So I just had to work that stuff in. And I definitely want to say hi once again to New Orleans FM listeners on 105.8 UPRN. And, Jim, I was what I was looking at just in the current issue, you've got two things that I think I'm sure we'll have time to talk about. But you've got uh, a, an article on the, quote, inside story of the Hill abduction, Betty and Barney Hill. What's what's new and going on with that? Well, that I writing about? don't
1: know. I'd have to look at it. I don't know if I have the inside story. Uh, there's two new books uh, that have just come out, and I can't give you the name of either one of them off the top of my head. Uh, one is written by Betty Hill's niece, uh, co-authored uh, by Friedman, and that's come out within the last year. And then there's another one that's quite interesting. And in, in 19, no, in uh, let's see, the year 2000, I guess it was. So that's eight years ago. There was a then-secret conference uh, somewhere in New Hampshire where uh, several writers with opinions and interest in the uh, Betty and Barney Hill case got uh, together to discuss their. Uh, mutual opinions, and in the end they all submitted chapters to a book, uh, which is now out. In other words, you got eight or ten different supposed experts.
0: Authors, contributors. Yeah, right. And and the
1: editors were Peter Brooksvist from uh, England and Carl Flock. And I don't know what kept it uh, delayed for so long, but uh, it's just out uh, recently. And, of course, uh, Flock didn't live to see it. Uh, I do have, it's funny, it's almost mm, psychic or something. I have an article I'm working on for the next issue, which, if you've seen this, you must have broken into my apartment, because (laughs) uh, it's not out yet. But here I I do have some new thoughts uh, about the hills, uh, such as, well, I think the thing that startled me the most was uh, seeing on the net, I forget by whom, But someone uh, has claimed, I don't know if it's in a book or an article or what, that after their mutual abduction, uh, Betty and Barney Hill started to have uh, poltergeist experiences in their house. And uh, again, this could be mentioned in one of the other two books that I just spoke of, uh, because I haven't read them, so I don't know. But I was never aware that these things within the house uh... continued to happen and uh, you know poltergeist things can be um electrical uh, appliances going off and on when they're not supposed to mm-hmm. or uh, things moving around the room you put something down one place and it ends up somewhere else and they had a bunch of these things i don't know over how long a period of time but it i found that very interesting and uh... it tied in with something that i was involved with a little bit when Betty Hill was dying of cancer at home, uh, maybe roughly a, a year or so ago, and she was being taken care of by her niece, the same one that's co-author of this new book, uh, there was a thing on the net about uh, uh, written by the niece, I'm sure, uh, talking about how a bandage, I don't know what the bandage was really for, but it was an ace bandage or large bandage of some sort, that had to do with uh, Betty Hill and her health and her problems. And she was bedridden and didn't move around the room, I assume. And anyway, this ace bandage moved from one side of the room to the other, and there was no one there but the niece and Betty and uh, both uh, didn't uh, think that they had done it. Well, I had Betty Hill's phone number all those years. I met her several times. She lectured for one of my conventions in in New York City in 1980. And I think she was off the wall, especially in her later years with all of these sightings that she had all over the place, outdoors, uh, things that probably were uh, reflections or airplanes or things that were not uh, significant. But uh, as I say, this indoor stuff I'd never heard about before. So I called her up on the phone. This couldn't have been... Uh, very long before she finally passed on and her niece answered the phone and knew who I was and put Betty on and I asked her about this incident and not knowing you see that uh, as I now know that there allegedly were all these other paranormal incidents within the home so I asked Betty Hill what her opinion was on the bandage having moved across the room and she just said I don't know and I didn't keep her on the phone very long because it wouldn't have been very nice and uh, and that was that. I, I, I these are just new little angles that I have come upon, and they'll be explained more coherently in the uh, forthcoming issue, which will be out in a couple of weeks.
0: Um, actually, our someone who's listening to the program now, he's the producer in New Orleans. Uh-huh. Has um uh, he's actually been on coast to coast and debated with Stan Friedman. Uh, just an opinion having to do with the the Betty Hill incident. That uh, there's. The story we're familiar with is kind of their second abduction, uh, and they've kind of analyzed or broken that down as being a what's called a my lap. You familiar with that phrase? I'm sure. No, you're I'm
1: right?
0: not. Uh, the military abductions.
1: Well, wait a minute. You're saying that the well-known abduction was their second abduction?
0: Uh, that's yeah. That's what I've been hearing. Uh, I, I've never heard anything
1: like that. What was the first abduction?
0: Uh, the theory is the first night was alien, and I'm just going by. Uh, what our producers talked about. The first night was Alien, but the one we know of that's most publicized is a MyLab. I was just wondering if you'd ever heard anything like that or had an opinion. No,
1: nothing like that. How far apart were the two abductions?
0: Two nights, I believe. One night, one, and then um, one night, the You know,
1: I I find that hard to believe because in all of the analysis that's been done over and over again on that case, and again going on to this new book with eight or ten Co-authors and not having the book I, I uh, having read it, uh, I can't say for sure, but it, it seems to me if there were two different incidents a couple of nights apart somewhere sometime over all these years, it would have been mentioned. I never heard a word about that.,
0: I no, just curious if you'd heard it because no. it, it got on coast to coast, and mm. um, that they uh, Joe was saying they lost a whole day in Canada um, before the one that we're familiar with.
1: Oh, I find story. that so unlikely, I have to say, because it, you know, with all the analysis that's been and, you know, the hypnotic regression and all the rest, surely it would have been mentioned at some point. And I've never heard anything like
0: that. Uh, it is. There's something about it in the book that I'm not familiar with. Maybe Joe or maybe you can have an interview or talk with Joe sometime or uh, just talk to him on the telephone. Okay. I just, he's he's. Gotten a little uh, time with Stanton Friedman and George Nurry both debating this, thing. Uh-huh. T- talked about it on the air. They say George Nurry about almost had heart failure. I wasn't there. I didn't see the look on his face. Why? <laughs> why
1: was confusion. George Nurry upset? Uh...
0: I guess because he's ble- he's definitely um, raised on or believing the the most common account of it being alien. Yeah. I'm no, not a key, I, uh, uh, studier of this.
1: So they're, they're supposed to have ha- uh, had a lost day in Canada before their drive back to New Hampshire?
0: I think that's how it goes, actually. Mm-hmm. Joe Matado is the one that's raising tackles in the UFO field with that story. Might be something uh you two can talk about later.
1: All right, well, all I can say is I, I don't know.
0: Yeah, myself, I was just curious if you'd heard that or anything no. like that. No, but okay.
1: I, I I think the pol- poltergeist stuff is interesting because mm-hmm. it may very well, in fact, we're assuming that it is, somehow connected uh, with uh, the abduction. And it uh, kept uh, going on for a long time. I don't know how long a time after the abduction, but only I have decided that that last event must have been part of the same series because it certainly sounds like a poltergeist uh, Event, uh, unless it was made up by the niece or, or by Betty. But I shouldn't think so. When a woman is dying, you sort of forget the hoaxes, don't you?
0: Oh, yeah, I think you'd, you'd either want to finally, finally tell the absolute truth or you would make the story bigger than it ever was. Right. One way or the other. That but is correct. I agree
1: with you completely.
0: Yeah, you're thinking legacy, so you're, you either want your legacy to be the absolute truth or... Uh, you want it to be the biggest story of them all
1: (laughs) but I do think it was interesting that I was able to ask her the question in person
0: oh yeah definitely you've talked to a ton of people there's a thing you've got in the current issue on uh, the Scientology and UFO connection yeah well all I
1: know is what I've read and I uh, made a synthesis of uh, maybe a couple of different stories Uh, I What I said and what I assume is true is that the uh, UFO connection in Scientology is not publicized uh, very much, but it's there. Uh, When when we think of Scientology, we think of uh, Tom Cruise jumping up and down on that couch, which is uh, (laughs) probably one of the worst mistakes he ever made. I think uh, he started downhill uh, after that somehow. Uh I had always admired him as an actor but I think he's gotten uh, this is off the subject maybe I shouldn't even bother saying it but mean, he, he's just fuck your
0: language whatever you say
1: okay yes I'll 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 stick to English I won't uh, speak in any other language uh the uh fact is you know he's uh, his ego has grown with his bank account and it's just sort of unfortunate and I Feel kind of sorry for his wife. Uh, I see in the tabloids all the time that he's rather dictatorial in his attitude. But that is completely off the subject. I don't know anything much about Scientology other than what I've read about him and in this net stuff that I just mentioned. Where they, uh, oh yeah, that was also in there in their headquarters in Clearwater, Florida. They're supposed to have a whole section with UFO files and all that, which is not open to the public and only open to the more advanced members of the science oh, you
0: cult. can't just join them at the base level and go you actually got to go through their hierarchy to get to that huh yes yes
1: that's my understanding.
0: wow well and, I and, uh, uh, but there must that. be
1: there must be a lot of detail there that that uh, wasn't published or that I missed i mean i assume they think that the aliens had a hand in uh, in the formation of the human race, and that's not an unusual point of view among uh, believers. Uh, so uh, it must have something to do with that kind of thinking.
0: Yeah, you're right. There's a lot of stuff in there, um just their basic doctrines. <laughs> just Google the South Park episode if anybody wants to see the the funny version of that. I think they've tried to sue them to take that off. Television. No, I'm
1: I'm not familiar with that. What's in the? Oh, Google uh,
0: they do a big cartoon that has both John Travolta and Tom Cruise in it uh, but and it talks about the alien that was he trapped in millions of people and now or he killed them and their souls are now here on earth the evil alien overlord millions of years ago
1: uh, Not yeah never heard okay. on it but
0: I do know but you're right I just didn't know that from what you're uh, writing about that they actually have a conference or a convention specifically on UFOs research or UFO doctrine or something like that? What well, no, I, I don't
1: think I said that they have conventions uh, that mention UFOs. I think that part of their doctrine is relatively secret. I don't think they talk about that much in public, as I understand it.
0: Hmm. No, I don't think they mean to, yeah, but it gets out from I guess. Uh, now, perhaps. John
1: Travolta is the man I, whose name I couldn't think of who is scheduled to play the part of Val Thor. Oh, really? Oh, really?
0: That would make total sense. (laughs)
1: Well, I don't know why, but that's the one uh, that uh, Dr. Stranges has in mind. Uh, I think Travolta might be a little old uh, to play Valsor. One thing about Valsor that I know is that uh, he is a handsome young man in the way that he looks, and as time goes by, he doesn't get any older. So if he looked like that in the 50s, and I've seen photographs of him, I guess so, photographs of somebody, I don't know if it was really him or really an alien, but a handsome young man, I don't think that fits uh, John Travolta at this point. I think he's a little old for the role, but uh, we won't know until the movie's on the screen.
0: Yeah, if it ever makes it, but given that Scientology has a... A hint of alien theology Or something behind it It would make sense To get one of their actors Maybe and, uh, I never TV. I
1: never thought of that Maybe that's why Strangers chose Travolta Because of, of the alien connection Or something Yeah
0: Yeah he did Battlefield Earth You may have caught that too Yeah You know what You had an old article I don't know if you'll even remember this Again I'm just cruising your, your site And the old issues right now But you picked up on something That I never heard of About Tom Petty The singer The rock and roll singer Seeing a UFO and almost wrecking his car. Do you remember anything about no. like that? No. Now,
1: how long ago was that? I don't remember that at all.
0: Oh, that is in boy the the issues that are so old they're not even on the internet right now. Well, it's e- just one of the headlines. Uh, I could click through. It looks like. Well, it doesn't really
1: matter, but you know, uh, fifty five years, I've written or <laughs> or published uh, a few hundred thousand words, and and let me add to that once in a great while. See, I keep bound volumes of all of it because naturally it's my pet and so I've got every single issue that was ever written and sometimes I go back myself and just uh, pick one at random and start reading it and it's like reading it for the first time I don't I don't sure. know what to expect it's all new to me that's terrible but uh, that happens
0: hmm. maybe I should jump into things that are uh, more recent then <laughs> uh, well the it Latin-
1: depends uh, some of them persist uh but uh that uh i i could i could tell you my uh, uh muhammad ali uh story uh
0: absolutely he, well
1: uh, i i met him several times uh which is interesting i guess but i had a f- friend who was a publicist and he wanted to meet celebrities to write them up for the tabloids uh so i i met uh muhammad ali three or four times once at his training camp one his once at his home in camden new jersey once in new york but anyway there's a well-known story about him he uh was training in uh... central park at one point in his uh, career and he got get up before dawn in the morning and you know jog through central park and you know that there's mist and dew and all kinds of things you know when it's that early and uh... Uh, so things have a haze over them. And he saw this UFO over Central Park, which was well-publicized. But then the cynics came along, and they said it was probably a street lamp. And it probably was. But i like to end that story with the following statement. I never brought that to his attention. I figured it was not, not the kind of guy you want to stand in front of and say, you know, what you saw was a street lamp. I, <laughs> now, see, there again, It uh, uh, you may or may not know this, it tied in with his uh, religion because the black Muslims did indeed believe, among other things, that giant spaceships were going to come at some point in the future and pick up the black people who deserved it and leave behind the white people who didn't deserve it. They were going to be saved from the coming uh, cataclysm or whatever. And, and that is an important part of the black Muslim uh, religion. That's quite I well I guess done.
0: you've read enough to know that is an important theme in a lot of UFO. We'll just say theology. I don't like to be derogatory, oh, but a lot oh, of people believe that. Oh, this is
1: terrible. I got my other phone ringing. I'll, I'll get rid of this person in in one minute.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's the no problem at all. I'll just remind people that yes. you can I'll listen to later. this program anytime on your cell phone again via UpSnap. All you have to do is you can either call the number for UPSNAP, 201-765-9737, and you can listen to the Paranormal Radio Network on your telephone, or text PARA, as in paranormal, P-A-R-A. Text that to 27627 on your mobile phone, and you can listen to us that way while you drive, or if you don't sit by a computer for two hours at a time like some people do, you can walk around with it and listen to the Paranormal Radio Network all the time on UPSNAP. There. I was supposed to say that twice. Thanks for the break there, Jim.
1: Yeah, uh, you made an interesting uh, point, and obviously you're more into the religious aspect of all this than I am far more into it, because I know very little about it, but I think it's worth noting that many different religions and cults and individuals in their thinking uh, believe uh, that there is a cataclysm coming and that in one form or another. Again, the details always differ, but the theme is the same, that the space people are going to save uh, the Earth people that deserve saving and that are sufficiently evolved or whatever the qualifications may be. Uh, They'll save the people they can, but only the good people and the other people
0: will perish. Isn't that right? Yeah, it'd be interesting to actually uh, do a scholarly study on how many different groups and people have actually claimed that, just to, like you said, compare them because the claims are always a little different on who qualifies or where they come from. Yeah, exactly. Or where going. Yeah, uh, that reminds me of Heaven's Gate. It's always a sore subject, uh, sorry subject. Pardon me? The Heaven's Gate suicide. Oh,
1: well, yeah, that's an extreme case, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. I don't want to see more of that again. That's kind of what got me started in researching a lot of this stuff or in publicizing going on the cursed Internet in the first place with my first book back, uh, boy, it's been over 10 years. I've been doing this UFO thing for 10 years now. So is oh. this what you thought you'd grow up to become, Jim, a ufologist? Is, is that what I've uh,
1: grown up to become? Is that what you said? Yeah.
0: What well, did you think you were going to be when you grew up? When you were born Oh, I, you?
1: I see what you mean. Well, I don't think my parents ever <laughs> expected me to grow up to be a Ufologist, I I think they might have had higher ambitions for me, but uh, unfortunately, this is what I ended up doing. I've done a lot of other things too, but uh, this has been my consistent hobby over all these years.
0: Oh, neat. Yeah, just as well, you've offered a couple books, so you haven't sold enough of those books to drive the Cadillac yet, though, right? No, no. You know,
1: it either there's something wrong with my phone or you're talking lo- lower. I'm having trouble hearing you just now.
0: Oh, I'm sorry. Is this a little better for you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's better. okay. Okay. I might have looked away just to see if I had any notes on you. Yeah, okay. Um, and actually, I, I was going to ask you, I'm glad we got like just four minutes left, I think, in the program. One of the, the quotes of you being a semi-serious ufologist in the field is your 4D theory.
1: Yeah, which I changed to the 3.5-D theory. Uh, you're not aware of that. You see, it it was tongue-in-cheek uh, mm-hmm. uh, for a long time there, and uh, they don't phrase it the same, but the same exact kind of arguments are going on. There are the 3-D people, you know, the nuts-and-bolts people, and if it isn't uh, 3-D, then it's, you know, uh, off in la-la land, and we shouldn't pay any attention to it. And And then the 4-D people who uh, have a more of an expanded mm. vision on that whole thing, I would qualify in the second group. Uh, but uh, I uh, facetiously said in Smear more than once, uh, you know, I'm trying to be a peacemaker and uh, uh, sort of cater to both camps, so I'll call my theory the 3.5 D theory, you know, halfway between 3 and 4, is
0: it? Oh, yeah, well, that goes right along with not taking yourself or yeah, yeah. too seriously.
1: And there are still a few old-timers. You have been reading the old issues, uh, people yeah. that, the people that remember the three and a half D theory. Yeah. Now, if we just have a little time left, I just want to say sure. I do take this seriously in its core. I am more convinced than ever, as I get older and time goes by, that there is something very, very interesting and important going on here. I wish I could remember the quote from Dr. J. Ellen Hynek that I had on the masthead just a few issues ago, and he said, uh, you know, something to the effect that uh, when the truth about uh, saucers is finally discovered, it will be not just <clears throat> a new experience. It'll be a quantum leap uh, for science. And uh, I think he was absolutely right. He's He's my hero in the field, by the way. I, I really uh, didn't know him very well, but I liked him a great deal. I liked his point of view, how he went from Air Force duly skeptic to uh, three and a 35 half D a believer. Uh, he was a, a wonderful inspiration to the saner people in the field, and uh, I uh, agree with his point of view very wholeheartedly.
0: Oh, that's interesting to know that you actually consider that as one of your... Influences are here. Oh, yeah.
1: I met him several times, and he's mentioned in my book, too. Yeah. He's a 3Der,
0: wouldn't you say?
1: Well, uh, no, he became, he became 4D, 4D, 4D in his later thinking. Not only did he decide that there is something strange and unusual about flying saucers, I mean, you know, that there's something real going on, but he also had the vision to realize that uh, 3D isn't good enough. It's something worse than that. Hmm.
0: I'll be darned. Well, I appreciate you taking a couple of hours. I know it's late on the East Coast.
1: Well, it's not late for me. I I'm always up late.
0: Oh, okay, good.
1: good well, good. listen, have me back any time, and uh, uh, I want double the fee next time. But never mind.
0: Don't we all? <laughs> yes, we're all in the UFO business for the money, and so far we're all <laughs> well, other double problems. zero.
1: You see, you maybe you missed me. Yeah. Uh huh.
0: Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll I'll double the nothing we paid you, and At that the... means. Joe has to pay me double the nothing. He's, I'm getting paid, and he'd have to get paid double the nothing he's getting paid. That's we do good. it for the love of it. We do it for the love of it, and because we're interested. We appreciate our listeners on Paranormal Radio Network, live from Roswell.com. Next week, I'll have Mike Barra, who's speaking in Roswell this week or this summer, and he's the co-author with Richard Hoagland of the book on the occult history of NASA.
1: Uh-huh. We'll have a
0: good good hour and a half conversation with him next
1: week i'd like to hear that that sounds real good
0: well you can listen to it on your cell phone with UpSnap. i'll get you the details
1: all right That's well the... thank you for having me
0: thank you for coming and good night everyone from sunny roswell new mexico i'm guy malone good night god bless and ho- hope to hear or talk to you again next week bye-bye. Bye
1: bye-bye